hope you all had a, a nice Labor Day. It was nice to have a little day off, a little little Monday calming time. I know that some of you might have been traveling, might have had other things going on. I know it's not always as restful as we might like it to be, but my Labor Day actually was restful, and I will take that. Our little family went down to the to the pier in Santa Barbara, and we hopped on a little toot. Have you guys seen this? That little little boat that goes around the harbor. It was great. We we'd seen it forever, but never never taken it. So we went out there. You know, I've got I've got two little kids. I've got uh, a now three year old and a four year old, and uh, one on the way. And we all hopped on this little boat. And Henry got to drive. We just we rode from the from the pier to the harbor and, and back. And uh, you know, you go and you stop and you see the sea lions on the on the buoy. And uh, and then Henry, my uh, four year old, got to drive the boat for like a little bit. Uh, so a lot of responsibility, but he did a great job. Being out there on the pier on Labor Day and watching everybody's faces, watching the faces of the families and couples and all the people that come to Santa Barbara for their for their respite, I, I, it was so energizing, so uh, so heartwarming. Uh, it reminded me of the power of Sabbath power that is restorative both spiritually and economically. Uh, Local theologian Ched Myers has a book called Sabbath Economics in which he talks about Sabbath being a practice in which we pause and shift from acting into being. A shift from acting, from all this action what drives our move forward in consumption economically into being the people of God. If you get a chance, check it out. But it is a reminder that we all need a Labor Day from time to time. In this passage, Jesus needs a Labor Day. He gets out of Galilee for a little R and R. He goes up the coast to Tyre. This is, this is the equivalent for us of going up to, like, Oregon. Or maybe, maybe even better yet, it's like going up to the Yukon Territory. He has left his country. He is way far away from the place where he grew up and where he has been in his ministry, where he's been doing his work. It's a different country. It is a different place, a wild place, a place where no one is going to bother him. But someone bothers him. Not just anyone. It is a woman with a sick child. As anyone who has done anything in this world knows, parents are persistent. It's striking how often the Gospels relate stories of parents with sick children. Isn't that striking? I can't help thinking as we read this passage of the moans of the parents who were separated from their children at the border earlier this summer. Hearing those recordings was so striking 
thinking of what it's like to be separated from your children. Here, Jesus has crossed a border. He is in a different country, in a different culture. The text says that uh, this woman is Syrophoenician, which means she is ethnically Phoenician, and she lives in the region of Roman-occupied Syria. And the text also says that she is a Gentile, a quote Gentile, that's what it says in our translation. But in the, in the Greek, it says that she is, she's actually, she's Greek, she's Hellenistic. She's culturally Hellenistic. The point with that is that she is decidedly not Judean. She is decidedly not Jewish. So with this not Jewish woman, Jesus pulls a Harry, as in Billy Crystal's character from When Harry Met Sally. Do you guys remember the scene towards the end, the the bit where they're fighting, and (laughs) Harry says to her, you know how a year to a person is like seven years to a dog? To which the make Ryan character responds, is one of us a dog in this scenario? Who is the dog? Harry says, you are. Meg Ryan, with all her spice, says, I am? I am the dog? If anyone is the dog, you are the dog. The Syrophoenician woman is kind of feisty like Meg Ryan, but she pulls an even better move. She plays along. She does Jesus one better. Even the dogs get the crumbs from under the children at the table, she says. These folks are clearly familiar with both kids and dogs. I've had the privilege of of watching our 13-year-old pug uh, through two young boys so far and counting. Uh, and I've witnessed a lot of dog-children food-related interaction. <laughs> so he definitely gains weight around the time when my children are starting to learn to, to, to eat solid food. <laughs> I have also watched, uh, my brother had, this, had a black lab. My brother lives down in Orange County, and he had his two boys. And they had a, a black lab that would sit by the edge of the, you know, the, the kid's tray uh, and just wait and like she quiver with with anticipation for the for the dogs to uh, for the kids to be done. At which point they put the tray on the ground and the dog can have at it. Whether it's Chihuahuas, poodles, Yorkie poos, Boston terriers, domestic animals of all kinds, I have seen street dogs ranging from fancy Argentine German shepherds to hairless Cuban mutts with boils on their skin. All these dogs interact with children because they know where to get some food. In all dog and child food interactions, dogs win. (laughs) They win because children are sloppy eaters and they are picky. Dogs get lots of food from kids. This is not a metaphor of paucity or scarcity. It is a vision of abundance. Food for days if you're willing to wait. If, like a parent with a sick 
child you're willing to accept any help you can get. Let's hold on to that for just a second and shift down the yellow brick brick road to the next healing. And for this next healing, we're going to reference yet another Billy Crystal movie. (laughs) We move from When Harry Met Sally to another early 90s classic, City Slickers. (laughs) Do you remember this movie? It's another movie in which Billy Crystal is joined by the actor Bruno Kirby, who really looks like he just stepped off of the set of When Harry Met Sally straight onto this like ranch, this dude ranch in New Mexico. (laughs) Straight off there. Do you guys remember this movie? Do you know what I'm talking about, City Slickers? Three guys from New York go west to New Mexico for three weeks of cattle herding. I can't say it's an excellent film, but there's some bits and pieces that that are pretty good. Billy Crystal's character has this transcendental moment in which he is forced to help a cow give birth to her calf. Do you vaguely recall this? He is in this position. He has to help out. He doesn't really know what he's doing. The main like cowboy guy has died, and he is here. And Billy Crystal is there, lives fully into this moment. He gets covered with the juices, the, all, the, all the, the birthing fluids. And, and he comes out of this, and he's just radiant, thinking about the gift of life, that precious moment, the miracle of birth. This moment is like that. Here, Jesus is touching and probing a deaf mute putting his fingers in his ears, spitting and touching his tongue. It is full of those life juices. It is very hands-on, to say the least. Remember what we said last week about infection? Do you remember what we are talking about, the body and its religious practices? People did not touch anyone who was not healthy. They didn't get near them. They kept them, they shunned them. They took them out of society. And this is what the religion asked them to do, to separate them. Lest the illness or curse or impropriety before God infect them. Oh, it's appropriate. We have, we see, this is a dog-appropriate sermon. <laughs> Monty, you just missed some dog talk. <laughs> People did not get near sick people because it would mess up their religious health, right? But Jesus is the AIDS doctor. He's the Che Guevara with the leopards, if you've seen Motorcycle Diaries. Jesus is not afraid to touch the sick. Jesus knows the abundance. By the way, did you catch Mark's favorite word in this passage? Did anybody see it? Did you notice it? What's the word? What is it? Immediately. Immediately. Euthus in Greek. Yoo-hoo. Look over here. I know you missed that word all summer long, but Mark is back, baby. He's back. You might have noticed another Markan trope in this passage. 
Remember how we've talked about the mark in secret, or what we call the messianic secret? Here's the passage again. Jesus ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. In the past, we've talked about how Jesus' celebrity is like Beatlemania. People follow Jesus everywhere he goes. They are screaming out loud. And up until now, all those people have been Judeans. But in the Beatles metaphor, all the fans were British, and now Jesus goes abroad. Jesus has landed in America. Okay, we've talked about some geography. Let's, I want to go back and try to understand what is going on in this passage, and I'm going to do it by moving around a little bit. So, geography review. Jesus has spent all his time near the lake, right? He's been all around the, the, the Sea of Galilee, the lake that's in the, the northern kingdom of Israel, right? Jesus spent all his time in and around there. That's where all his ministry has been, particularly on the north shore of that lake. Here, Jesus has been so popular, he can't go anywhere in, or in and around this lake. So he takes off. He takes off, and he goes off, and he takes a little break. Um, he comes up on the coast for a little break with the next money up here in the town of Tyre, right? He goes up there, and then the Syrophoenician woman gets, gets up, and he helps him out there. They, they, they actually help one another out. They have that incident there. Now, when, when he's, it's time for him to go back, and the passage says that he goes back through Sidon, which is actually farther up, farther north up the coast. And then... What do you expect? He's going to make a beeline back there, but he comes around and goes all the way around through the east, all the way back to a region that was known as the Decapolis. Over here, the Decapolis, the ten cities that are all in the east and southeast of the Sea of Galilee. Do you see what has happened as he's made this movement? This is what the area in which he's had his next healing. Jesus has expanded his ministry, expanded his reach. He has drawn the circle wider. Wide, like the big sky of Montana, like the glaciers of the Yukon. Jesus draws the circle wider so that he can include more. People. He does this not because he wants to tell a different story to change the narrative, but so that he can tell the story better. The same story we have heard from Isaiah. It is the story of God's presence with us in this passage. Here is your God. This passage from Isaiah. Here is your God. Biblical scholar Carolyn Lewis points out that just a little later in Isaiah, in chapters 40 and 52, Isaiah defines the bringing of the good news, the gospel, the same language we use with Jesus' ministry. The one who announces the good news in Isaiah is the one who says, here is your God. Here is your God. Here's your God waiting with the 700 families still separated from their loved ones, the 431 of which were parents deported from their uh, without their children. 
Their children left in the States, but they are out of the States. Here is your God with the 526,000 Palestinian girls and boys who attend UN refugee, refugee schools, whose largest donor, the United States, has declared this week it will no longer support them. 526,000 girls and boys. Here's your God with the undocumented students working here at UCSB. God is here with us right here at St. Mike's, asking us to widen the circle of our compassion, of our impact on the world, which we hope to hear more of from Aureli today. I don't know if she's coming. <laughs> she said she was, but we got more of that to come. Isaiah spoke of this process of widening the circle, saying, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Opportunity that was lost suddenly became a reality. In that reality, we come to see that we are all dogs. We are all desperate for grace. Thoreau famously said, The mass of men live lives of quiet desperation. Every inch, every centimeter, every millimeter in which we broaden our circle of compassion, we amplify that desperation so that it can be heard. It lifts up the voices of those who know they need God, who know we need justice, who know we need change. It unifies us, puts an end to our isolation helps us realize that we are all in this thing together, as we will sing in a little bit. When we are blind to that reality, when we are deaf to the cries of our sisters and brothers, when our tongues are bound with anxiety or self-interest or political fear, we must turn to the one who says, open up. The one who gives voice to the mute hearing to the deaf, sight to the blind, who widens the circle from this small room to the reaches of our ever-expanding universe to everything in between. The one who is present in every breath that comes into and out of our bodies. That is where our God is. That is where love is. That is where we are. Here is your God.